Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Hello and welcome again. Today I want to talk about the two types of jobs emerging. One leading to a happy, comfortable retirement, the other leading to poverty and misery in old age. Now you may have seen figures released recently by the government showing that unemployment is at its lowest level since 1974 when Barry White was in the charts singing, I've got to do this, you're the first, you're my last, my everything. Okay, Sorry about that, Barry. But, you know, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember Barry White singing that song. Now, it just goes to show you that things have changed and unemployment's gone down. But a lot of people are saying, you know, people particularly on the left of the side of the spectrum are saying that, you know, these are not proper jobs. You know, that they're zero hour contracts with no security and so on. And that may be true. But the truth is, we've always had these types of temporary zero hour contracts. I was doing a temporary zero hour contract when Barry White was singing, funny enough. And funny enough, I was thinking about this the other day. I was recently attending an event in one of these posh clubs in St. James's Square. And the other day, I was lucky enough to go to the House of Lords. And it occurred to me that when I was around 15, 16 at school, I used to work in these very kind of clubs like Oriental Club and these posh restaurants and you know even the House of Parliament. And I used to do part-time jobs serving drinks or serving food and serving people that I thought were, were posh at the time you know I realize now that they're not all rich and posh you know they were just people attending functions and it occurred to me that I was doing these types of jobs in there and, and now I'm I'm there in these places being served by other people and it just made, made me smile you know a little, little thing that so I know that these jobs and, and these were the types of jobs where they could ring you up and say look we need you on Saturday night or we need you Friday night can you come in if they didn't need you that week, they, they wouldn't call you in. So there's nothing new about this and nothing new about people doing jobs and being paid here and there and cash and that sort of thing. It, it, it's always been around. In the long run, those type, I didn't stay in that type of job. So in the long run, you know, it's not good for families to have that sort of insecurity. But there again, having that type of job is better than not working, isn't it? It's better than being sort of on benefits and signing on and, and not having a job. You know, because at least if you've got the job and, and unemployment's around 3% now of the country, which is low. I mean, in countries like Spain, not so long ago, they had 40% unemployment amongst uh, the younger generation. So so it's good. I mean, at least they're, they're contributing to society. They're working. They're gaining experience. They're gaining confidence and knowledge and paying a bit of tax. You don't pay much tax on low incomes, uh, up to 12,000. So you don't pay any tax at all. But at least you're contributing to society and you feel better working. You know, you feel you feel good. And it's not good for children and families to grow up in, in generations of families that have been on benefits. And, and that environment's not great. I mean, you know, it doesn't serve them as good role models to sort of be unemployed and not be seen to, to go out and work. You know, as a, as a counsellor, which I'm no longer a counsellor, but as a counsellor, I've met families in this position. You know, the children, you look at their eyes, you know, you, you can see that, you know, their eyes lack ambition. They don't see any future for themselves. Oh, I've got no future, you know, 
but they have got a future. They, they live in one of the richest countries in the world, whether it's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it is. We are one of the wealthiest nations in the world and they have got a future, but somehow they don't feel that they've got a future. And many of them don't finish their education, which is there for everyone. They, they can go home and study, can't they? They can they can stay at school and study. They can go to the library at weekends and study, but that somehow they haven't got that, that same ambition. The education in this country is free. Yes, there are university fees, but they don't apply to people in, in lower incomes. And if they don't want to go to university, they can still do apprenticeship schemes. There are so many courses that they can take. You know, I was in the training business. So I know that there are courses that people can take to get them on that ladder and get them started. Um, young man I met recently, he didn't go to university, but he's doing an apprenticeship to become a chartered surveyor, which is is a professional job. It's like the equivalent of an accountant in, in the property world. So, you know, you, you can get on if you've got that, that ambition and, and a bit of drive. Now, Getting back to the job types, I, I do think that, you know, there are distinctly two types of jobs emerging. And, and this has certainly been over the last decade or so. And one comes under the class, general sort of classification of zero hour contracts, which which in many cases is pseudo self-employed, not a permanent job, no permanent contract, temporary and so on. Now, as I said, I've done these jobs before, but I didn't go into a career like that. When I got a job, it was a job. You know, they said, here's a job, here's an employment contract. It wasn't like, well, you know, you're on a zero hour contract. And the other is a normal full-time job where you get a contract and, and you're, you're part of the team, you're fully employed. Now, when you think of zero hour contracts and, you know, which sort of companies employ people in this way, you tend to think of companies like Deliveroo, don't you? Or, or employers that are mentioned in the papers, like you heard of um, Mike Ashley, for instance, he's always mentioned by the papers in working, slave working in Sports Direct and all this sort of stuff. And you tend to think of backstreet setups in, in you know, backstreet factories and sweatshops and that sort of thing. But you wouldn't expect the government to be employing people in this way. Well, in fact, you'd be wrong. Because I have a little bit of beef about this. Look at the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, effectively owned by the government and funded by the taxpayer in the form of a license fee. Now, the BBC, not don't get me wrong, is an excellent company. Uh, you know, it makes great iconic wildlife shows with David Attenborough, Save the Planet and all that sort of thing, as well as long running soaps as, such as EastEnders and Holby City, which is made in the studios in Boreham Wood, where I was a councillor. And I actually also owned a property and rented rooms to many of the, the production staff at uh, the, these shows like EastEnders and many of the shows that are made at Elstree Studios, like Big Brother, for instance. And, you know, I was surprised to learn that many hundreds and thousands of staff who work on EastEnders are not fully employed. You know, they're on temporary contracts that they're employed for a period of, say, three to six or nine months. And then they're laid off for three or four months and then taken back in the following year so they might say to you right you can work from january to september then you won't have any work and then we'll bring you back next january okay now i knew i had a particular lady that had worked on eastenders for something like 12 13 years on this basis and she earned reasonable money while she was working but she had no security and in that other time she had to find jobs or sometimes she went traveling a bit but you know it there was always that uncertainty 
And the last time I saw her, because I, I stopped renting the rooms on that basis, uh, the last time I saw her, they'd even reduced that to sort of three-month stint. So they, they'd taken it from nine months down to three months. So they're, they're obviously getting nervous. And the reason they do that is to get around employment laws. And this is the BBC, to get around employment laws. So they, these people never become permanent employees. They're never on the, on the payroll permanently. So that if they need to get rid of them, they don't have to make them redundant. They're not part of the pension scheme. They don't get sick pay. They don't get any of those, those sort of benefits. And the BBC have been doing this for a long, long time. So, you know, she, she hasn't got any security. Now, this, this is not nothing new, but in some industries it seems to be, you know, endemic. And, and since the 1990s, various governments and local authorities have also, various government departments rather than local authorities, have also been outsourcing many of the, the jobs to the private sector. And these could be whole departments like... Um, you know, rubbish collection, for instance, where they employed people properly on on contracts and gave them a pension and sick pay. They said, right, we're, we're selling this off to a company, uh, Viola or whatever they're called, and they will take over all of that that side of things or maintenance on this or many of the back office stuff. They've, they've outsourced some of them abroad even. You know, they've sent jobs abroad. You know, we're paying taxes here and they send jobs to, to India or the Philippines. And it's not just your local bank that's doing that. And obviously the workers in working for these private companies, they, the private companies will do the job cheaper because they're, they're not giving them full-time employment in, in some cases. And in other cases, even if they do, they're not getting the same benefits in terms of pensions that they would have got in the, the state sector. So that includes British Rail, for instance. That, that's all been privatised. And I, I knew people who worked in the old British Rail company and are now working for the new companies. It's, it's a very different work environment. So people on who are on these temporary contracts are obviously easier to lay off. So if there's a downturn, they lose the contract, they don't really have to give them redundancy pay. So would I suggest that you never take a job that's contract or, or temporary contract or zero out? No, I'm not suggesting that. Unless you've got a full-time job lined up, I'm not suggesting that you, you sort of refuse to work in these sorts of jobs. Sometimes employers want to give people a try, maybe try them out for three or four months. So I wouldn't say never take them. I mean, my son did an internship at the bank before he, he was offered a full-time job. My daughter has worked in many temporary jobs in the past before getting a full-time job. I've worked in temporary jobs. Sometimes people just want to give things a try before giving them a permanent contract because once they're in there permanently, it's a different story for the employer. So you've got to look at it from their point of view as well. And also once you're working, you know, you're gaining experience, you're gaining confidence so that you can show in your CV that you've worked somewhere. It looks better than putting on your CV unemployed for three years, right? So... One of the main benefits of having a full-time job in a place like a government job or a, or a local authority is that they get a guaranteed final salary pension scheme, which is virtually the only available now in, in government jobs. So where people have been, say, working for the BBC full-time, British Rail, or for the local authority, emptying the bins or doing maintenance or whatever, or back office work, they would have been part of the final salary scheme, the local authority or the civil service final salary pension scheme, which, as I said, is is has been sort of virtually pulled from all of the private sector companies now, mainly because of its cost. And this would basically mean that after 40 years of work, you'd be guaranteed to get half of your final salary. It's based on an 80th per year of, of your work. So 48th is a half of your final salary. And that would give you a pretty comfortable retirement. Uh, now, the reason I'm telling you all this is that if you're in the first category of job 
And even if you have a full-time job and you're given a, a proper contract, etc., in the private sector, you're unlikely to be in receipt of one of these guaranteed final salary pension scheme or sometimes called a defined benefit pension scheme. In other words, your benefit is defined. Most people nowadays would be in what's called a money purchase scheme, which is basically like a personal pension uh, where you put the money in, it builds up and the fund builds up and it, it grows. And if it's in a managed fund, mainly in equities, it could go up and it could go down. But generally the trend should be upwards. But it's very much dependent on the growth in, in that fund. And at the end, you would have a pot of money and that would then buy you a pension. Now, that is not the same as the guaranteed defined benefit scheme because a defined benefit scheme, you know you're going to get a percentage of your final salary. In a money purchase scheme, it just depends on whatever's in the fund. And then, then it also depends on whatever the annuity rates are at that time because the, the, the pot of money will buy you the pension for life or an annuity. I don't want to go into a great deal of, about annuities, but when interest rates are low, annuity rates are, are also very low. So you could be in a position where you retire and interest rates are low or there's been a, a downturn in the stock market. And, and then what? You know, you could have lost 20, 30 percent of your fund. At the moment, the stock market has been on a rise from around 2009 to now. So if people are retiring today, they'd have a nice fund. But who knows that there, there, there could be a fall in the stock market. I believe there will be a fall in the stock market in, in the near future. Then what? What do you do then? OK, there are various ways you need to take financial advice on this. I'm not your financial advisor, but you can secure your money into deposit based funds during the last three or four years of, of your saving. So you've got to look at that. You, you, don't, you don't just want to go to sleep and, and, and forget about it. But obviously, you know, for those people in local authorities, they don't have to worry about this, you know. Let's put it this way. If you and a friend were in the same kind of job, exactly the same job on the same salary for 40 years, one is working for Joe Bloggs Limited and the other's working for XYZ local authority. At the end of 40 years, you'd be in very, very different positions with, with retirement. One would have a gold plated government backed pension scheme uh, equivalent to half their final salary and guaranteed to rise with inflation. And the other would have a pot of money in a money purchase scheme, which may or may not have performed well, and the pension will be dependent on the, the pension or annuity rates at that time. Okay, now the cash equivalent of these gold-plated government schemes can run into millions. Because if you think what it costs to give somebody, say they're retiring on £50,000 final salary and they get 25000 as a pension, you know, that costs a lot of money to fund. You'd need a fair sum of money to give you that pension rising with inflation, maybe a million pounds. I'm, I'm just guessing off the top of my head. So, you know, famously when Neil Kinnock retired, because uh, he, he had a, a, an MP's pension, which is one of the best. Then he had a European Union pension and his pension, they said, was worth two or three million pounds at that time. Obviously, you can't get that two or three million pounds in your hand, but that, that's what that we would cost to fund them. So, you know, if, if you're a person with a private employer now, you should look to the future. Where, where are you going to be? You might be in what's called a work-based pension scheme if your employer is large enough. You might have your own personal pension scheme. Your employer might contribute to that pension scheme. However, I, I don't think this will be enough, nearly enough, to give you a comfortable retirement. When I worked in the pensions industry, it was estimated that the cost of funding a final salary pension scheme was around 20% of an employee's salary. Now, most employees if left to their own devices, say you're self-employed, I don't know anybody that put 20% of their income into a pension scheme. If you think about 
the state sector, most of the state sector would put in from the, the employee contribution would be around 6%. So the employer is making that up. So the employer, not every year, but the employer has to make that up somehow to give you that, that pension. I recently read an article about the council bosses earning more than £100,000 per annum. Now, you may not know that your local authority, your local council, has many employees there that earn more than £100,000. Some of them are earning more than the Prime Minister, believe it or not. Now, the article quoted a few people and it said, this person earns £100,000 per annum plus his pension contribution and invariably it was around 20% of the salary. So if the person was earning 100000 they would put £20,000 more into the pension fund for them. One guy was earning nearly £150,000 and 30000 pounds was going into his pension scheme. Now, as I said, I didn't meet anyone that was putting in 20% of their, their salary unless they were very near retirement, had a lot of disposal income and they'd, they'd maximum fund their pension. But people in their younger days when I met them were usually in debt rather than credit. They didn't save very much money. They had very little savings. They weren't even planning for the future until they get, oh my God, I've got 10 years to go. There are even advertisements on TV right now which show someone, oh God, the washing machine's broken down. Oh, the fridge freezer's broken down. What am I going to do? I can't pay this to get it fixed until payday. So what do I do? I'll go on this loan company and they, they show this nice little app and they go on and they get the loan the same day and say, right, don't worry, dear. I'll get this fixed today. You know, in other words, they're aiming this these loans, which are probably quite expensive, loans of maybe 100 to 200 pounds for people that have got no money in the bank. They've got no buffer. They've, they haven't even got a few hundred pounds to, to fix a car or fix the washing machine. So these are the type of loan companies that prey on people that haven't got any savings. So let me ask you a question. How much are you putting aside today for your retirement and, and what percentage of this is, is what percentage is this of your earnings so if you earn 30,000 a year how much are you put inside are you putting in 5% 10% 20% just ask answer this question yourself now I'm not selling you a pension by the way I'm not in the industry I'm not your financial advisor you need to get independent financial advice yourself another example is nurses nurses who work in the NHS pay about 6% of their salary into a pension scheme, but the value of the scheme is worth more than 20%. So if, if a salary as a nurse is 30,000 a year, the employer is, is putting in roughly 15% of your salary into your pension scheme. If you're a nurse working for a, a private sector or a nursing home, you might even have a pension scheme. So the same two nurses retiring will be in very different positions from the ones, say, working in the NHS as opposed to the one working for a, for a private nursing home. And anyone holding a, a money purchase scheme and an equity-based fund has got to, to look at that fund, how it's invested. What are they putting your money into? Don't just rely on you know the fund manager or the financial advisor. You've got to keep a review on this because, as I said, if that goes down due to a stock market fall, then you know your, your fund will go down as well and you're, you're, you won't have as much money in retirement. Now, if you look at the people I know now that are retired, the people I see playing golf, living in a nice house, spending time giving to charity, like Rotary, for instance, I, I'm in Rotary, you know, they travel, they still drive a nice new car. Every few years, they change their car. You know, I invariably find that those people are either people that have sold a business, so they've worked very hard as a self-employed, built up a business and sold it, or they're people who've worked in a job like the state sector where They've worked for 35, 40 years and, and, and retired on a nice pension scheme. Now, if you retired on a pension scheme 
today of half your final salary, you might think, well, that's that's a big drop. However, you know, if you've paid off your house, you know, maybe you've got some extra savings and, you know, you haven't got the same expenses you had when you're younger. You can you can retire pretty well. And don't forget that annual pension is, is guaranteed to rise in line with inflation. So you're never going to fall behind. Now, returning to those people on zero hour contract jobs, they're in the worst position of all because, you know, they haven't even got the security of knowing what they're earning next month, let alone, you know, having a pension scheme. So if you say to them, well, why don't you put money aside for a pension? Well, hang on, I can't even pay my bills. You know, how can they do that? So so what is the, the solution here? Now, before I answer that, I really do think that we're facing a pensions time bomb in this country and, and in other Western countries. You know, millions of people are reaching retirement without adequate pension or savings, and they're going to be forced to continue working or become dependent on the what I would call the ever-shrinking states. The state doesn't seem to have as much money to throw around as it did in the past. You know, when I was growing up, nearly everything was free. Dental care, um, you could get optician care for free. You could get people were put into nursing homes run by the state when they retired. You know, they, they didn't take their houses to do that. You know, so it's very, very different nowadays. Although we seem to be a wealthier country, there seems to be less money to sort of throw around on things. So if you're in a job where you're not in a pension scheme, you need to see a financial advisor, an independent financial advisor, I would say quite urgently. And if you're in a low paid, unskilled, zero hour type of job, you're facing a bleak future unless you can upgrade your skills now and upgrade your knowledge. And especially if you're in unskilled work, you've got to get into skilled work. Unskilled work and many skilled jobs will will be disappearing in the next few years when they bring in AI and robotic technology. This is already coming. You can see driverless vehicles coming. You know, they're already there now almost, right? You could see driverless delivery vans. You could see drones delivering stuff that would normally be driven by a man in a van. So, you know, you've got to get ready for this. If If your skill is just, I can drive a van... And, you know, your job is replaced by a a driverless vehicle, then you are, you know what, right? So you've got to get beyond just, I'm going to drive a van for the next 40 years, because, you know, it's not going to happen. It it might have happened 40 years ago, and you could just do the same job forever, but I don't think it's going to happen. So first thing is is really to upgrade your skills, because millions of jobs are going to disappear, and you better be ready for those changes. So, so you get, get yourself ready. And I'll go on to that in a little bit more detail in a second. Another solution is to build a part-time income. If you haven't got disposable income, build a part-time income or a business so that you can afford to build up your own pension pot. In the last few years, many of us have, in, uh, have invested in buy-to-let properties as a way of funding retirement, especially when Pension schemes did become a little bit complex a few years ago and, and people couldn't really rely on the growth rates and the fund managers and so on and charges were, were getting a bit out of hand. This has been simplified now, so you, you can go look at pensions. But I personally went into buy-to-let properties. It didn't help that the government took away that tax relief uh, that I've talked about in previous episodes, but it's still a, a pretty good investment. But the first thing you need to do is really wake up. Um, this is a, a wake-up call to, to all of you. Look around and, and just look and see what's happening. You know, wake up, smell the coffee, as they used to say. Right, see what's happening in the world. You know, the world of work of changing. There's no such thing as a job for life. You know, the current generation of workers will need to adapt, right? They're going to need to adapt to the many changes in their lifetimes. And, and it's now, not in the future. This is now. Don't just read the front and the back pages of the newspapers and read the sport. You know, look at what's really going on. Do your research. 
Look at Asia. Look at what's happening in Asia. Travel to Asia. You can see what's happening. It's booming out there. Look at China. You've got to really sort of wake up. There's parts of the world that have been asleep for many years, and that, but they're no longer sleeping. Now, you can see that the state, as I said, has less money to provide for people who, who are retiring. Already they've, they've pushed back the retirement age. So where people would have retired at 65 now retiring at 66, 67. This is because the state can't afford to fund these pensions because the pensions were never designed to be funded for so long in retirement. People are living longer, as, as we know. When pensions were designed, they, they expected to pay out the state pension for three, four years. Now they, they could be paying them out for 30 years. It's quite normal to see people in their 80s. You know, my mother's in her 80s. She's fit as a fiddle, you know, but people would not expect it to live that long in retirement. And there's no fund there in the state. It's just paid by taxpayers. We pay tax that goes out that door to people for pension schemes, for state retirement, for benefits. And that's when that's one of the biggest, the social care sector and benefits and pensions takes up a lot of the taxpayers, a large proportion of, of taxpayers funding, taxpayers money. So there's no fund there. That, that's the, the thing you've got to think about. I mean, I, I go into detail in this in my book. Yes, money can buy you happiness. I, I cover a lot of this there. And I go into things like building up your, your income and ideas to supplement your income and build up your pension. You know, part one, I cover your, your money beliefs. Many of the, these beliefs that have been holding people back it goes to in great detail a lot of the things that you need to know money beliefs like money is the root of all evil so to get rid of those limiting beliefs that are holding you back uh, in part two i go through money and happiness in more detail and really show you why money really does and can buy you happiness in part three i go through into the nitty-gritty of managing money and growing your money the three hours of money management and the smart money management, S-M-A-R-T, the smart money management system. So have a look at that on Amazon. And, you know, I'd urge you to to, to do more study and read and upgrade your skills uh, because you, you've got to upgrade your skills and keep yourself going. Workers in the West now are also facing, through immigration, they're facing fierce competition from young people coming in from abroad and who are often smarter better educated, more motivated than British counterparts. I'm sorry, I, I, I've seen this because I've employed British workers and I've employed people from abroad. And perhaps it's the same where British workers go and work in Australia or Canada. They're perhaps more motivated when you're you're an immigrant. But um, it, it is true that young workers are, are you know, if you're leaving, leaving the educational sector without much, without many qualifications, without any experience, you, you are going to struggle because people will come in from abroad. They've already got experience. They've already got education they've got degrees and they'll take any job and do any hours and so people are facing much stronger competition now from abroad you know i recently read a quote this is getting back to workplace from from brian tracy that most workers spend their first year learning and getting into their job and learning all about their job but after that they seldom get any better so they just drift along and you just can't do that now you need to upgrade what i would call your mes your money earning skills you can't just do this in your work. You have to do this outside of your work by taking short courses, studying and taking on and reading about your industry, doing all these things outside your work in your spare time. And this will leapfrog your head of the, the, the herd, if you like, the people that just don't want to do that. And you know, your net disposable income will, will go up perhaps tenfold. Now, you might say, well, I don't have the time. 
And I'd say to you, well, you better bloody well make the time because if you don't, you know, your time's going to run out. Okay. Now, listen to one of my earlier Money Tips podcasts where I go through how you can get an extra 30 hours a week, mostly by spending less time on your backside watching television and doing things that are, that are non-productive. Now, look at this. Millions of people have started businesses in their spare time. And I've done this myself, right? I started business while I had another job and you can do the same. Millions of people have taken degrees as I did or short courses, even MBAs in their spare time while working full time. They do it in the evenings, weekends when, you know, a lot of people are just having fun. Now, you don't think those same people could say to their mortgage company or their landlord, hey, you know, I need to take three years off to do a degree. You know, would you suspend my payments, spend my rent, spend my mortgage payments because I can't pay it for the next three years? Would you mind doing that? You know, I think you know what the answer would be. No, they do it in their spare time. And, you know, millions of people have written books in their spare time. I did. I wrote this book in my spare time. It took me a long time to do it, but I did it. I couldn't just take time off and go and sit in a hotel like you know, JK Rowling and sit there for three years writing the next Harry Potter novel. No, you can do that later on maybe, but otherwise you've got to still work while you're doing these things. I remember reading a quote, and this is nothing new, right? Over a hundred years ago, Henry Longfellow wrote, the heights by great men reach and keep were not attained in sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upwards in the night. Okay, in other words, while their friends were sleeping, they were working, they were toiling, they were studying, and that's how they they attained these great heights. Now, when I talk about disposable income, what I mean is your the income that you got left over after the end of every month. Now, you might say, well, I haven't got any left over. I've got month left over at the end of my income, but not any income left over at the end of the, my month. Now, okay, most people have something left over. Now we know from figures that many people only have a few thousand pounds of savings and you know they spend beyond their month's income. But let's say for instance you had 30 pounds a month left over right now, okay, a pound a day. And but by starting a, a small business from home or taking a part-time job or investing in a buy-to-let company, all of which could easily give you another 300 a month, right? You would have increased your net disposable income by tenfold. 30 to 300 pounds a month, right? Now, this is how network marketing companies and direct sales companies recruit people. You know, most people would be happy with a few hundred pounds extra per month. They don't need 10,000 a month. Maybe they just need three or 400 or 500 a month to, to buy those luxuries or to save or to put money into their pension or pay for school fees or whatever. Now, sadly, you've got to watch some of these MLM or network marketing companies because many of them fail to deliver and Really, they're recruiting agents effectively to become their customers to buy what I think some of them are overpriced products, I'm sad to say. So choose wisely. There are many good companies out there, but there are also many direct sales companies where you just get a product like, I don't know, Clean Easy, Betterware, and Summers, uh, a very famous one, you know, Jackie Gold there, who sells millions of pounds through this party plan system. They're not... MLM companies, they're, they're where you're actually, you're getting customers, you're not the customer, you're you're going out and selling things to customers. So look at those type of things. That's just one example. In the book, I go through other examples. You can get lots of different part-time jobs. There are jobs out there and, you know, you could increase your net disposable income. So it might involve a bit of evening work, uh, maybe a Saturday, 
Uh, you know, I, again, going back to, to migrants, I know migrants who worked three jobs, not one job, they worked three jobs. They tended to be put into low paid jobs. Uh, but I, I knew many people from the Philippines that come over here and they had a full time job. But in their spare time, they worked another job. And it's not unusual for them to have three and four jobs. And then they save their money. They didn't go down the pub and, and spend that much money. They put it aside and saved it and bought properties. And that's how immigrants get on in this country. So think more like an immigrant thinks if you were coming into this country new. Now, in terms of businesses, the good news nowadays with the Internet, you can set up things like an online store selling products or a business without having to build a complicated website. You can do these things on Shopify, eBay, Amazon very quickly and cheaply get on online and selling things without having to set up a shop and pay staff and pay tens of thousands of pounds in rent and staff costs. You know, I see many small shops going out of business very, very quickly. They could do the same kind of business online. You know, you can even set up a a business on Facebook without an expensive website. You could do that right now. You could go and set up a Facebook page and, and start selling things or start a business in, in that way. And it's very cheap to set up a website nowadays. I remember spending £10,000 on a website years ago. You don't have to do that now. So going back to saving, if you're still in your 20s now, you still have time to save into a pension scheme. If you put aside a good, decent percentage of your income, if this fund is managed properly, it should give you a decent fund in, in 30 to 40 years time. The problem is most people don't have that time. They don't start thinking about retirement until they're in their 40s, 50s and even 60s. You know, in our 20s, we're probably more consumed by you know, saving to buy a house or you know, bringing up a family and, and these sorts of things. So you perhaps don't have that disposable income again. So if you haven't got time to do this, if you're in that that situation where, you know, if you're in an index tracking fund or a pension scheme that's given you a seven to eight percent return and you're you're in your 20s, yeah, you can build up a, a good fund by that. But if you're too close to retirement, you've only got 10 or 15 years left, seven to eight percent return is not going to do it for you, is it? You know, if you've got 10,000 pounds a day and you get seven percent per year, it's not going to amount to much over the years. And if you put in 500 pounds a month, even that seven percent return is not going to amount to much over, say, a 10 year period. But over 40 years, that compound interest would give you a decent fund. So if you're in that position, you might need to do something more aggressive. You might need to really think about this and really, really get into investing or get into earning a bit of extra money. Now, how do you do this? Well, for instance, I've got 20 tickets for a taster starter property investment course coming up in the next few months. And, and I can give you those free of charge if you email me. What would this taster course do for you? It would give you a a basic insight into getting started in property. This course will be enough to get you started. Obviously, you might need to go into more depth in things, but these courses are very good. Some of them are a one-day taster, some are three-day tasters where they cover a whole range of options in property. Now, you don't necessarily need money to invest in property. They show you ways of investing in property and getting into property without having to have your own money uh, or without having to even obtain a mortgage. So to look into that, let me know if you want to do those. And oh, I wish I had those courses when I was starting because there was nothing like this available. And I, I just had to learn as I went along, mainly from fumbling from one cock up to another. But here are some of the courses I've got in the next few weeks. I've got a multiple streams of income property events, uh, 14th to the 16th of June and 28th to the 30th of June. I've got a Beginner's Property Secrets, which is a one-day course. Uh, I've got some um, 
21st of May is really too soon, but 30th of May uh, there, there'll be there'll be the others coming up towards the end of May. Serviced accommodation, 27th of June. This is a special course for service accommodation course, how to increase your income in property by having serviced accommodation as opposed to just ordinary accommodation. There's another one, no money secrets down. Tax discovery day, 5th of June. Business breakthrough summit, which is getting started in business on the 27th to the 28th of July. That will be a big summit and I'll have some tickets for that as well. Uh, there'll be further courses on e-commerce to be announced. So um, I'm not sure when you're going to be listening to this. You might be listening to this next week. You might be listening to this in, in two months time. But whenever you are, there'll always be courses coming up. So please just drop me a line at charles at charleskelly.net. And remember that I read a statistic that only one in 10 of us will ever study or take any main courses after school or university. Not surprisingly, the 10% who do this are the 10% that tends to, to leap forward and earn most of the money in society. So are you going to be one of those people that the 90% who, who do nothing and never study afterwards and never get on and never progress? Or do you want to be the, the one in 10 that takes the time to, you know, it's not all of your time, is it? A couple of days here and a couple of days there is not going to be a huge chunk out of your life. But what it can do for you to accelerate your your income and your wealth in life is is just unbelievable. I've gained so much from doing these courses. So please drop me a line. If you want to upgrade your money earning skills and increase your earnings capacity, email me now at charles at charleskelly.net. Thanks for listening. Have a look at the book. Check out my book, Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. That's all for now. Hope you've enjoyed this rather long podcast, but there was so much I wanted to get into. So please email me at charles at charleskelly.net. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 